0: Hello, hello, listeners to the Third Wave Podcast. Welcome to another episode of 3D Conversations. You have heard um, on several of these already, and I'm curious about what you think of the format, if you're finding it interesting or useful. And if you have a guest that you think would be a great uh, participant in a 3D conversation, just send them my name and an intro. Most of you listening to this know how to get in touch with me. Um, so... As I've done with each of these, I've chosen a topic that I am interested in at a deeper level, and especially one that has a lot of um, misconceptions around it. And then, possibly, as we know with the third D, a a friendly debate. And so, today I've been thinking a lot about for the last three years, really, this concept of social justice, and. Um, the person that I know, actually, that is probably the smartest person I know, also is an expert in social justice, and that's my partner and all things, Dr. Virginia Lacayo. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Justin. <laughs> Happy to be here.
0: So social justice as a term, I will confess that for many years I made fun of the term. I made fun of what they, for people that call themselves social justice warriors, which In the United States, I still might make fun of some people that call themselves social justice warriors because it usually involves maybe like, uh, you know, posting stuff on social media. Um, But getting to know you and having you as my partner, I have had such a, a mind opening experience related to how language is used and how concepts that may mean something in the United States, means something different in other countries. And so my, my first question for you, as it relates to this topic of social justice, is how is social justice different, let's say in Latin America, where you're from, versus the U.S. or Europe?
1: Well, it's not really that much difference in terms of what we aspire to. Social justice is, is a generalized Concept for everyone. I mean, we all deserve justice. We all deserve to have to live a life where we have all the conditions and the opportunities we can get to improve ourselves, to grow, to to do what we're here to do, Mm -hmm. and to have uh, autonomy and to live a life with dignity. And that's that's general for everything. I think the difference is more that where we are at in terms of justice mm. for everyone. So here in the States, you have some specific struggles and fights that you consider important, and that's where you're focused on. In Latin America and Africa, for instance, for women, social justice starts with not being killed or not being mutilated. Mm-hmm. So we start from that baseline mm. so it's not about what's the difference in term of what we want is the difference in terms of how we get there and where we need to start
0: mm. okay so would that be then maybe the conditions determine what justice is but the social aspect of it is essentially about human rights and dignity and as you said autonomy is that is that correct
1: yeah and it's, it's not necessarily what justice. Is because justice is justice, is what, um, what we need justice mm. about, you mm. know, in that specific moment. For instance, if you live in a country that is governed by a dictator, then freedom, freedom to speech and freedom mm. to organize and freedom to go around is a basic human rights and a, a, a matter of justice and fairness. Mm-hmm that we fight for and other countries don't feel the need. Mm -hmm. So they focus on something different. But at the end is the collection of opportunities and, you know, equity in terms of opportunities, conditions, and resources for everyone and everybody really to to live the life that they, they want.
0: Okay. That makes sense. So at least in the U.S., the concept of social justice, that word that, that that terminology is used primarily by people that would be considered left of center um, or progressives or liberals is the older term for them um, You don't hear well we don't really have a uh, alternative rational right wing anymore in this country um, I mean there's a few a few of us like true conservatives left, but most most people that I would identify as uh, right wing are very extreme now in most of their views, but they don't use the term social justice. Even back in the day of more rational conservatism, from like George Will or Barry Goldwater, um, or um, there's many other examples of you know that of conservatives that were intellectual conservatives, or or just the rank and file standard conservative Republican, they did not use the term social justice. It was almost always a left-leaning, left-wing term. Why do you think that is?
1: Well, here and everywhere else, okay. it's the same. I mean, the, the, the people that are more conservative in the right-wing, uh, in right-wing position or ideology are usually also the people in power. And they're usually also the people that benefit from the injustice. Mm. So they're not going to fight for something that goes against their interest. So that's one thing. And But even in the right um, side of ideology, the most conservative um, people, they have talked about social change. I mean, mm-hmm. you think about Trump and other, other leaders here, they talk about changing society back to where they think mm-hmm. it was, mm-hmm. even though that's an illusion, I think. Right. But, So that's why social movement, we stop using social change and we start talking about social justice because it's about we're focusing more on what kind of change do we want. I mean, Mm -hmm. Hitler was a social change agent, a history shaper, but not the kind of change that we aspire to have. And same for other leaders that you you might um, think of. So it's about social justice is more used by the people that are fighting for their own Mm rights and justice that is uh, perceived as a systemic problem, not just like I want justice for me, you know, Mm -hmm. because you did me wrong and and then I want to be retributed for that or anything. So we talk about social justice when we talk about systems and the people in power are very comfortable with the system as it is. They don't Mm -hmm. want to change it and use words as justice means that there is something wrong with the system that needs to be changed. Mm. So that's why I think they don't use it as much.
0: That's interesting. I've, honestly, I've never thought about it that way before, about w- that it's, it's imp- it, people in power. I think there's also, um, within the concept of social justice, when one side uses it and the other side doesn't, then therefore using it makes you sound like them and nobody wants to sound like the opposition. Um, that could, it could be that simple as well. But I see your point from a power, pers- you know, who's in power and who's not. Um, so I, my position on social justice has evolved some, you know, big influence from you and thinking more globally and more around systemic injustice for sure. Um, uh, but the way that I have evolved is also is that understanding that social justice as a concept is really rooted in natural law and rooted in the concept of universal human rights. And you go back to like Francis Bacon, who was very influential in England in the years, in the, in the hundred years or so before um, the uh, U.S., you know, what became the, the, the U.S. Revolution and the Declaration of Independence and the, the, then eventually the Constitution is that the Constitution of the United States is rooted in universal law, which by its nature seems like social justice. So what I'm curious to hear from you, especially I think this is a very interesting thing as an immigrant who lives in the U.S., um, is where do you see the, um, the, the separation between what we would say is the Bill of Rights and constitutional rights and social justice? Where are they separate? Where is there a split where something is social justice, but it's not necessarily specifically protected in the Constitution?
1: Uh, two ways. First, the Constitution in the United States, but you, even the Declaration of Human Rights, was um, created many decades, that, centuries ago. Mm-hmm. And haven't, it hasn't been really updated. We assume, we still assume that those are the basic rights and they are enough. Mm. But society has turned uh, very complex now. It's way more complex than before. We have technology that didn't exist back then. Mm-hmm. And there are rights associated with that level of complexity and technology and globalization that were not considered back then. That's one thing that I think social justice struggles are about all the human rights that are recognized in the constitutions, many constitutions, and in the Declaration of Human Rights. But not not human rights declaration and constitution are comprehensive of all the struggles that we're fighting right now for justice, that are more systemic. The other thing is related to that, that usually the Constitution and the human rights is about what not to do. what the state, the governments are not allowed to do that will violate human rights of the individuals. So it's very individual-based. The mm-hmm. same thing for the declaration. It's sure. very individual-based. And we have now to think, I mean, we have evolved into understanding society and justice as a collective issue. So there, the, the human rights declaration and the constitution doesn't necessarily see groups, as part of the protected individuals or the protected unit. And groups have their own uh, needs and conditions and uh, violation of rights as a collective, uh, social groups but also collective, that need to be acknowledged and fight for.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I, we maybe we'll get into this in the third D of the friendly debate, but um, my lens is, and that probably because I'm very influenced by the fact that I'm a straight white American male, uh, is, is through the lens of the individual. So I, I think of human rights as the sovereign rights of individuals. And I think this goes back to one of the, I guess you could say the criticisms or the, of the concept of social justice, not the intention, but the concept of social justice is that it divides people into groups, that the concept itself, the, excuse me, the terminology itself is divisive. And it separates people. What are your thoughts on that?
1: That's also all dated. I mean, that um, maybe it was at the beginning what social movements start to be created. And we started with class, for instance, you know, Mm -hmm. the struggle for class difference and economic, you know, income and and that difference in terms of income. It started like that. And then, you know, the uh, black movement and the women's movement and then the queer movement all that started as silos but at this point in the debate we're talking about a lot about intersectionality and how many of the oppressions and discriminations that we suffer are complex in the sense that they overlap each other and we mm-hmm. we are not just a woman mm-hmm. I'm not just a woman I'm not just latina I'm not just immigrant I'm not just one thing I'm many of those things combined, and I'm part of a collective that is just bigger than the Latinx community, for instance. Mm -hmm. And as a collective, I face challenge and limitations based on how the system is set up that need to be addressed and cannot be addressed easily in a simple linear way, like, okay, my rights as a woman, because Mm -hmm. then what about my other rights? That will create, in in general, the life that I deserve to to have and to experience, and the right conditions and opportunities. So, it was. I mean, I understand where the 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 debate or the that notion comes from, mm-hmm. but it's not current anymore. I, I mean, see. we're now we're when, on social movement. We talk about intersectionality a lot, and we we really bring about the to the to the dialogue, the idea that we are all we have multiple identities Mm -hmm. and therefore we have been oppressed and discriminated from multiple fronts and we need to address them as within you know with their complexities.
0: Yeah, and what's that's very helpful. And and also what's evolved for me is understanding that the concept of social justice is a way to kind of define a set of problems, let's say, Um, because. We have to, in order for there to be solutions to things, we have to agree on the problems. And this is not new for the people that listen to this podcast, that I have this strong criticism of the modern political movement in the United States, is, especially with the, you know, the, the right wing and then more the far left, is they can't even agree on the fucking problem. Like, you know, we should be able to agree that homelessness or unhoused people, that's a problem, a societal problem. So one of the things that I'm encouraged by with the concept of social justice as a a framework is we can put a variety of things in that bucket um, of social justice so that we can agree that it's a problem. Um, And so I tell people that are critical, that the same group of people that think I've become some woke liberal, that social justice is a framework for a problem. It's not a solution. It's, it's, maybe it's an outcome, and it's an outcome that would need to happen through legislation um, around like protecting specific groups or, or policies. Um, and so, I'm curious about that uh, from your perspective. Is when you see if, if social justice is more of a framework to define a problem. Um, if, well, first of all, do you agree with the way that I'm describing that, or do you have a different take about how I'm using the term social justice in this in this case?
1: Well, I agree. I think it's both a framework and an outcome. I mean, an outcome is the kind of life what, that we want and the kind of system how we want to interact with, with each other and with the world. But it's a framework because it should actually guide all the decisions that we make. It's Mm -hmm. like how am I contributing to a more just world, you know, uh, how my business, my company, my organization, my community is actually, you know, walking the talk. If Mm -hmm. I believe in these values of of autonomy and freedom and respect and diversity and, you know, equality and equity, Mm -hmm. how I'm uh, walking the talk. Right. And so it is a framework for thinking, not just to define problems, it's about making decisions, it's about acting, it's about uh, how you interact with each other, how you perceive other people and your surroundings. It's, it is a lens. Yeah,
0: it's interesting. And so we could also look at it from this perspective that um, I think, again, this kind of goes back to, a, a, I guess, a criticism to say if someone is more of a, a constitutional centric view, so a U.S. constitutional centric view, which I tend to, I tend to lean towards that, which I am um, generally opposed, even if the intention, let's say social justice, a social justice problem, is that, that it is that it overrides the Constitution without the process of changing the Constitution. So one of the criticisms is around something that's been called judicial activism, where Um, And this was like Roe v. Wade was an example of this, is that Roe v. Wade um, used um, a a sentiment within society related to women's right to choose, women's reproductive rights. And there was a Supreme Court decision, but Supreme Court decisions that are are not backed by legislation are not binding. And we discovered that when the Supreme Court, through a very specific effort by right-wing Christians to get that overturned, Um, it showed the, the, the fragility of judicial activism or in recent years, especially under Obama, but this continued with Trump, less so with Biden is the executive order, you know, deciding that through the executive branch, we're because of a social justice issue, we're going to, we're going to do something about it. And very recent would be like Biden's executive order related to school debt, school debt, Our college debt is considered by many a social justice issue because people were um, kind of tricked into going, you know, used, they were marketing tricked them into racking up debt with the idea that an education would lead to some future outcome of income. And for most people, it didn't. It just created a bunch of debt. And um, so Biden passed an executive order, but it got um, overturned because of our. Legi- of the legislative process and the Constitution, he did later pass a much more narrow version of it as an executive order. So the backdrop to that, as a long kind of setup of context, is um, I can understand in a culture or in a in a, in a, in a different country outside of the U.S. where the where there where the the conditions are like you said about women's rights to right to live or right to not be mutilated or the right to not or the right to not be raped. Or, uh, you know, you can look at sex trafficking or child trafficking, those type of things. Those are horrific inequities, evil inequities. In the U.S., though, I'm curious about, do you think, what your take is, that should social justice issues be implemented without, um, basically, without on the more of outside of the Constitution, do you think that there should be more of like a, a direct democracy that says we're going to pass a feder- or we're going to pass a law through Congress that protects certain social justice issues or do you think it should go from the grassroots or more through the traditional representative republic model? What is your take on that?
1: Well, I think that if you I mean even laws mm-hmm. can be changed even the constitution can be changed. So there is no guarantee. Because of the kind of political systems that we have, you know, that we live in, we need some binding um, objects or something. We need laws. We need, uh, you know, changes in the constitution that will protect the laws beyond the good intention of politicians Mm -hmm. in the moment, because that changed. With every government, you can go back, and right now, what I perceive, and I'm not the only one, is that we have backlash at least 50 years in human rights and women's rights in particular, just here in the United States, Mm -hmm. even worse in other countries. So that shows how volatile this is. But I have to say that is, unfortunately, we... For many years but because we come from this newtonian paradigm that things if you understand the problem then you can figure it out the solution that mm-hmm. and the problem can be described in one line is like the problem is homelessness you know mm-hmm. and the problem is uh drug addictions and when you see things in a linear way and you try to separate things because on this we can agree and so let's mm-hmm. leave other things aside you lose the complexity of the, the real problem. Usually problems, and this is from my complexity science background, problems are, are never linear. It's not one thing. It's mm-hmm. not There is no clear cause effect of that. And when we focus the, dis, the discussion on what is the cause of this, what is the root of the problem in a linear way, we miss the real root. Mm-hmm. We get on the symptom. The, the, we assume that the cause is the symptom, when, mm-hmm. when it's actually the symptom. That, that I'm saying this because we need to really understand the complexities of, of, a, of a social problem, a systemic problem. We need two things. We need a certain level of capacity to understand complexities. We need to be able to see things from a system thinking perspective. And that's the role of the leaders, Really to do that but at the same time you need the whole system involved mm-hmm. in understanding the problem and figuring out the solution you cannot have a bunch of white cis men on and off in an office discussing about something out of their mind mm-hmm. and deciding that that's the problem and that's the solution You're right right because that doesn't work right. and we have seen it many many times in history. But the other extreme is to just survey the people and say what they think is ignoring, that's part of the complexity of social justice, is ignoring the social conditioning that we are all in. And we might believe in that specific moment of time and based on the surveys too. I mean, some surveys are not egalitarian. They don't survey everybody the same way. Not everybody has the same vote. Even if you give them the same level of voice, they, they, their votes don't count the same. Mm-hmm. So you're giving people that have been socially conditioned to believe in certain things, you give them the power to make a decision for everybody else. Right. And that's not right neither. Right. So it's the, the challenge here for, for politicians, but also for grassroots and social leaders, is to figure out a way to guide the conversation, and guide the debate from a system thinking perspective in a way that involves the whole system into understanding the roots of the problem. That means to really be able to see everything, not just the line that you're seeing, but everything around, have a 360 perspective of the problem, and then experiment with the solutions. All these attempts and all these changes that have been good, good policies, good... um, laws that have been passed by previous politicians with, within the framework of social justice even even if they have been changed and or override or whatever mm-hmm. later they open a narrative that didn't exist before right. they give us the chance to experiment with something try it out see if it works why is it not working mm-hmm. and that if makes for the system meaning everybody involved not people but politicians and services and institutions to start thinking about the complex in a, about the problem in a more complex way right. that we try different things why is not working who's not benefited from this change who's trying to overcome you know this change and and go back to what it was and why and it leave i mean you see it in new generations now millennials and gen zers that they have a different view on the world right now and what social justice is based on what my, our generation and previous generation have tried in terms of defining the problem and defining the solution and what worked and what didn't work. So Mm -hmm. now they have a new narrative to work with that. No, they know that things are way more complex and what works, what doesn't work, but why is we still haven't
0: tried. Yeah. Wow. Um, So social justice, let me back up. Throughout history, especially in recent history, the concept of a direct democracy, um, where there is not—it's not a representative republic—it's a direct democracy, which is a form of populism. Populism is often used initially as like a sign of the people. This is what the people want, but then they elect an authoritarian, and then suddenly social justice uh, shifts, um, and you see, well, you know, this this firsthand from. You know Nicaragua, where the, the the there was populism got someone elected who then used that platform to pass and use that power to pass laws that were direct violations of human rights, as an example. And so that's why I think of when I think of systemic change, which is really a different topic, but there's a relationship between social justice and systemic changes. I don't think we need to change, at least in the United States, the constitutional republic model. What we need to do is educate people or provide people an opportunity to educate themselves beyond, so to understand the complexities of, of how, like I love that you said, it's like homelessness or unhoused people, it's not as, it, it may have policy-wise, because you got to pass a law if you're going to do something. It, that might it may be linear in policy but it is never linear in complexity there's a lot of moving parts there's it's you could almost take any social issue and it has its own intersectionality related to it but that requires a educated populace to be able to do that and um, that's why I think with the work like we're doing at massive where you where it's business leaders more and more it's business leaders driving, uh social change and social justice issues, especially related to um, you know equ- what now is most commonly referred to as Dei, you know diversity equity and inclusion. those are initiatives that were not passed by legislation. They were not passed they're not it's not a Supreme Court thing. It's private employers deciding to do things that promote social justice within the realm of the business community. and I think that's its own fascinating conversation. The last question here for this first May D. of I say something about, about yeah. what
1: you were saying? Uh, just in terms of political models, I believe in democracy. I The point about the republic um, model is that I don't believe anyone can really represent you. I Nobody can represent me in all my complexities. I mean, that that idea that representation comes from this, um, uni, uh, let's say, one identity per person. You know, like mm-hmm. you're a woman, that's it. You're a mm-hmm. uh, white man, that's it. And so in that in that sense, yes, somebody can represent you because there is another white man that represents white men, mm-hmm. but they cannot represent you with all the complexities and intersectionality. Right. So I believe in, in democracy as, as a model, but none of those models work if, as you said, the citizens are not, aware of their right and how, and they have been informed and they know how right. to exert those rights yes. and how to make them work. Because no matter if you're being represented by some somebody, the the fact that we choose based on fear, for mm-hmm. instance, the fact that most countries have only two parties, uh, that that system is very limiting to how actually you can push forward the your own agenda and the agenda of the people that usually are not being represented there. Okay. So it's, it's more about, it's not about the political model that we use. I agree with you in that sense that is it's more about how we educate people to be, you know, fully citizen.
0: Well, I'll save my response to the third D of the debate. <laughs> so last question for the, um, for just the deep dive is, When you think of social justice through the lens of policy, and most of the listeners to this podcast are Americans, U.S., you know they live in the United States. Um, What is a current social justice issue that you 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 care about deeply, and then what would you do about it from a policy standpoint?
1: To be honest, because I'm not a citizen, right? I haven't thought much about it. I haven't thought much about that and what would I do about it. I'm more. um, I think that my position has been more from a science, you know, a Mm -hmm. scientist view. Mm -hmm.
0: That's okay in this case too, right? Less of a citizen, more just as a as a citizen of the world and someone that cares deeply about humans. You're a very compassionate person, and you're a complexity scientist. So. It's. I didn't mean to put you on the spot as like if you were a citizen, what would you do? But more from your lens as someone that has great exposure to various systems in the world with this deep knowledge and maybe even deeper compassion for humans. But you live here, and so I'm curious about as you observe, maybe I'll reframe the question, as you observe American society living here um, and what social justice issue is you think is Important that we pay attention to right now, based off your areas of expertise and background.
1: Well, um, there are a few systems that we are in urgency to change for sure, and then really, really evaluate and change. And those of uh, two of those are the educational system. Mm -hmm. I I believe that the way we are educating uh, children right now, and it's not just here, but everywhere in most countries we are setting them up for failure mm-hmm. and for um, for pain and for suffering and for trauma in many ways. I mean, w- the educational system is not educating our children anymore. It's uneducating our children. So that's one thing, and we can discuss yeah, a lot about, yeah. you know, how is that related to the increase in jails and mm-hmm. juvenile right. crime and all that, and drugs and gangs and all that, and also how is limiting the... Cr- critical thinking capacity of people right now, Mm -hmm. including therefore not becoming fully citizen, you know, like in all their rights. Um, So educational system, the health system, for sure. I mean, I think it's a basic human right to be able to be healthy Mm -hmm. and to get some kind of health care. And here in the United States, it's it's very impressive for me, considering that I've been, I've lived and I know many countries that are considered under- Underdeveloped or developing countries that have a better overall, may, maybe not as much access to medicines and technology, but better healthcare system than the United States. So that for a developed country and like mm. the United States is still quite impressive, and yeah. you can see how is all about the interest of a few, you, mm-hmm. you know, being richer instead of really providing for for the care that people need. But other besides those systems, I think um, immigration laws and mm-hmm. the system is something that really needs to be revised and updated because we need to get to the point where we really fully understand that globalization is not a, is not optional. Right. It's not like I don't want that, I don't like it, and I'm gonna opt out right. from that. You know, it's part of it. it's just technology and unstoppable and globalization is unstoppable and movement, migration from cities to the rural area and vice mm-hmm. versa and other cities within that country, but also between countries is, is unstoppable. So we need to figure out a way for people have the right to being respected and honor and at the same time uh, turn migration into a resource something that we can actually benefit from instead of being afraid of right. all the time. And obviously, um, women's right, and especially related to sexual and reproductive right, mm-hmm. I think is is something that we're seeing a lot of, we're going backwards with that. Mm-hmm. And at this point in life, in history, especially in the United States, we should know better.
0: Right. That goes back to just what <laughs> the, Dem- the Democrats were in charge of, the House and the Senate for the majority of the time after Roe v. Wade was passed, and they never passed a law to codify it. And um, that, that's its own. To me, it's its own kind of either arrogance or wishful thinking uh, in that aspect of it. Um, so, okay, let's move into the uh, the second D here of debunking um, and you know, de- like getting like challenging. And we've already touched on, I'm not surprised that we have did it this way, but um, we've already touched on some of the mythologies uh, that are out there. But what do you think is the, at least in the United States or maybe elsewhere, the biggest misunderstanding about the concept of social justice?
1: Um, I think that is has been associated with radical activists. I mean, people that um, are on the street and that they... Or they're politicians or they lobbyists mm-hmm. and that is is their their thing you know it's something that is almost a job mm-hmm. for some people and it's, it's not about that I mean we are all really and I want to invite everybody to consider this that we are all all of us are thinking in terms of social justice in one way or the other. Mm-hmm something that hurts you, something that is painful for you to watch or to hear on the news, you know, maybe related, and this is the case for many people, related to children or related to climate change or, Mm -hmm. you know, the environment. You, you You can see yourself saying like, that's wrong. We need to change that. That's not fair. People are suffering from this. People are dying from this. That's Thinking from a social justice perspective, even if you don't use that term, mm. so I think that when we understand that we all have an opinion about this, and that is important to share that opinion and to act on that. If those are your values, you should be doing something about it, not just being a uh, observant. Because then, I I question is how how much of a priority those values are for you. If you really believe in fairness and justice and equality or equity, or even if it's for very specific issues, then if you really believe in that, you should be talking and doing something about that. So one of the misunderstanding is thinking that that's not for me. That's mm-hmm. not something I'm, I have. I have nothing to do with social justice. Yes, you do. It's your is your life, Is your family, Is your community as well. And, people are suffering around you because yeah. of the injustice.
0: Yeah. And related to that is how does a person's mindset, um, well, let me back up. So you have a, a, a workshop that you do, a talk that you give called Decolonizing Your Mind, and it's also part of the mindset coaching you do through Massive, where you know the people we're coaching are called to take on systemic change Many of that, much of that systemic change you could put in the social justice bucket. Um, but when it comes to the kind of the self-created illusions that people have, so not just society, like you said, where they think that's somebody else's job, but the decolonizing or the colonizing of the mind, share with the listeners what you mean by decolonizing the mind and how the your mindset changes the lens about how you either see social justice or go about doing so you know you know delivering social justice
1: you can see through history that uh, how generations or people large populations have changed a system in one way or the other either radically or uh, slowly but they they have changed it because and the, the reason that happens is because the collective mind change around an issue. The collective, the system itself, I mean, all of us, start understanding something in a different way and then we go about, we act on that new perspective. Mm. So everything we do and everything we don't do is because we think something about that issue. Um, Because we, we believe in something. We believe that something is true, something is not true, something is right, something is wrong, those thoughts are going to drive our actions, are mm-hmm. going to create emotions and drive our actions. The problem is that we go by life assuming that everything I believe and everything I think is true mm-hmm. and is right because I never challenge it. And again, the problem with that mm-hmm. is that if some of those beliefs are go against yourself, against your own capacity to develop, to evolve, to become a better person, to contribute more to society... And if those beliefs are repressing and, and oppressing other people, it's important to challenge them. Mm. But we, part of, the, part of the way we have been socialized and raised is that our mind is just a kind of observer of reality as it is. Like that whatever we perceive is true, is real, and our mind is just organizing them. That those input, let's say, mm-hmm. that's not true. Right. Your mind is a thought producer machine. is a a filter, and is a, it will it will tergiverse everything that you perceive to uh, to adapt it, to adjust it, to make it fit to the belief systems that you already have and you have had since you were a kid. Mm-hmm. So when I talk about decolonizing our mind. What I'm saying really is that we all have, in one way or the other, a colonized mind. A colonized means that somebody else from outside can be a person, can be a group, can be a system, a whole system, government, culture, have put ideas in your head since you were little. And when you were little, you, were not, you didn't have the skills or the capacity to challenge them, to say, like, how much of this is true and how much is a projection, So you take them from your parents and your grandparents and your school and your, you know, uh, religious community, you take them as just, this is the way it is. Things are. You're a woman and as a woman, you have this right and you have, you, you cannot do these things. You cannot behave this way. You have to behave this way. You have roles, you have, but that happens for every single identity that we have. Mm. as a woman, what it means to be an immigrant in this country, what it means to be my age, what it means to be 50, what it means to be um, white or a person of color. I mean, what it means, all that. We got all that information from somewhere. That was not produced by our own mind and definitely not produced by our our own heart and conscience. Mm. So we've been colonized by what I think are the main colonizer systems to the day, we're not talking about England or Spain, or we're talking about systems that mm-hmm. are omnipresent in everything we do and every way we think. That is consumerized uh, consumerist capitalism, white supremacy, patriarchy, and institutionalized religion. Mm. And so, those systems, it, each one of themselves, uh, each one of them, have a set of beliefs that actually very convenient complement each other and reinforce each other. So they have a very strong alliances like mm-hmm. that. And, but the way a system reproduces itself and keeps itself in place is through our actions. It's through the individual person that adopts those beliefs and start acting, acting and reacting mm-hmm. to them without challenging them. So the process of decolonizing your mind is about making an inventory, starting like that. You make an inventory of all the beliefs that, about who you are, what you think is true or mm-hmm. not true, what you think is right or not right, and what is possible and not possible for you as an individual, but also for us as a collective and as a society. And start challenging each, each one of them, mm-hmm. especially the ones that you identify are limiting you or limiting somebody else to challenge. And ask yourself, if this was true back then, is it still true now? Mm-hmm. Is it still right now? Is it still the, something that served me or serve us right now? And if not the case, well, go through the process of debunking that mm-hmm. and challenge it and you know, deconstruct that belief so you open the space for beliefs that are actually serve us better. And maybe in most cases, those beliefs were never true in the first place. So developing this skill of like a really high level of critical mind mm-hmm. that start by challenging your own mind in the first place, open the space for you to see, to really see what you work with, what the system is about, where is the separation between you and your true beliefs and your values versus what uh, society think is, mm-hmm. is true. Or they, you know, no society talking about something abstract that is a system. Because when it's interesting when you ask in an organization, what are the values of the company? And they say this and this and this. Mm-hmm. And then you start interviewing human you know, like each one of them. Right. And you ask them about their values. Usually they don't match. The, the individual has different values than the company has, yeah. which is totally wrong. It should not be like that because the company is not really completely independent from the individuals. Uh-huh. That are. Yeah. Same for society. So interesting enough, that's what I, we were talking about: um, participation, political participation, you know, like and citizenship. What it means to is is not assuming that society. I'm using quotation marks here. Society <laughs> believed in this. Is like, who is society? It's all of us? Do we believe in this? If right. not, what discourse are we buying in? Right. That is not us. Who's who's saying that on our behalf? Mm. And it's about time to challenge that.
0: Right. So, thank you. Um, I think one mythology that I see it, looping back on this is that social justice as a concept is often seen as an ideological concept, an ideological-based thing. And it can be, as we've discussed. But really, it's more of a consciousness thing. And we do, We talk about this with our clients when we're working with them on... Um, you know, defining what their mission is and how to articulate it and how to express it. Um, you're working with them on their mindset and their limiting beliefs and they're, you know, helping them decolonize their mind and then developing these like systemic leadership pr- practices. Um, there, th- That that one of the tools or frameworks we use is spiral dynamics. And, and there, so it's not a coincidence to me that within spiral dynamics and I'll link to a good description of this in the show notes. But basically, it's move, as you move up co- levels of consciousness, you it's go from me, so you're aware of yourself, self-awareness, mindfulness, to, to we, which is basically your family, your, your immediate community, maybe your business, if you're a business leader, then to everyone, which is society at large. It is no coincidence to me that the people that do the work of consciousness have a much more heightened sense of social justice as they go along because, and this goes back to complexity science, consciousness reveals that the connections and the patterns, and you can't unsee them. Um, no matter how much you benefited from the system as it is now, um, as you raise your consciousness, you, you can't, you can't just go, well, social justice is just, that's something progressives say, or that's what activists do. I got a business to run. It's, it's almost a moral responsibility if you've had some level of awakening to embrace what you see and you don't have to become a monk or a pirate or a protester but you can use your business and your status to actually contribute to systemic change um, so that's m- that's my version my take on it another one too and, and I'd love to get your take on this one specifically and then we'll get into the last D is I think the mythology, and this isn't directly related to social justice, is that we're a meritocracy. The United States is a meritocracy, and you pull yourself up by the bootstraps, and everyone's got equal opportunities. And this has been a big epiphany for me because I saw when I, I've always been very justice-oriented. I mean, my name literally means justice. You know, the you know the, the name Justin means justice. So when I was a little kid and we were playing cowboys and Indians, I always took the Indian side, and I always was like. Why is the Confederacy and the Confederate flag a thing, you know, considering what it stood for? So I've had this like semi social justice view, but at the same time, that it's everything's just a matter of effort and hard work because it's all equal. It's not. It's not. It's not. And we, and that's a, that's, just, that's a reality. And it's not just within the classically oppressed groups, you know, of women, people of color, LGBT people. It's, we are a caste system, whether we like to say it or not. That it's really, in many cases, in modern society, related to actual opportunities more about wealth privilege than white privilege, because when people of color have a lot of money, they be the many of them behave pol- politically as white people do. So because of the because of the money associated with money associated with it, and so you know, we, meritocracy in sports, sure. In most cases, that's true. Military is mostly a meritocracy. But even then, we even have a term for it called, it's, we say it got political. It got political. We don't even mean ideological. We meant that power started fucking around with the meritocracy. So I'm curious about what you think of that idea of a meritocracy and just your response to that.
1: Um, yeah, there, there are some spaces, like in business, for instance, that the concept applies. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you provide value that is perceived as value to to the community that you serve as a business person or as an employee or as a, you know, anything, that value is going to show up and it's going to be acknowledged and recognized and you're going to get a reward for it. Yeah. That is where meritocracy is applies and Mm -hmm. is valuable but for when we talk about social justice definitely not because it's and that's that's my let's say where I I I went really cautious and actually challenged the idea that everything that matters is in the constitution and in the declaration of human rights because it's very based on meritocracy it's very based on okay you have the right to do this you have the right to you have these benefits and it's either the the obligation of the government and the state to provide that for you or you have to fight for it and if you fight hard enough if you if you work hard enough then you're gonna get it that concept of meritocracy especially related to opportunities and and income and conditions comes from the Industrial revolution. I mean, it's like you work hard, the more, the more hours you work, the mm-hmm. more income you're going to make, even if it's two cents. Mm-hmm. But that idea that you work hard and you're going to get there is, is not real. Because, because no matter, it's like the education, have the right to education is a human right and it's in the Constitution. Every child should have access to formal education. Okay, we have it. And what good does it make I mean, right. it's not contributing much, the opposite. So it's just having guarantee certain rights and access to something and then let it let it letting you alone to figure out the rest in a system that is doing everything in their hands to keep you oppressed and and suppressed and discriminated because it's in the convenience of the people in power, you have to work and you, we know that. 10 times more mm-hmm. than, than the people in power to right. achieve the same thing. And even then, even if you give your life working hard to achieve some things, the labels that you have that being assigned by society immediately put you back in the starting line right. over and over and over again.
0: So <laughs> that's interesting because this shows the evolution uh, or the um, adaptability in some cases of the U.S. Constitution, because the right to an education was not one of, was not in the Bill of Rights. What, education was not mentioned for many years until the Fourteenth Amendment was passed. Fourteenth Amendment was passed, and people can look this up. Um, but as it's commonly referred to as the Equal Protection Clause, um, and that's where education, where where public schools, were public school system was kind of created. And that within the 14th Amendment, everyone has, no one can be denied equal access to schooling. and But they still were with Jim Crow laws, with the fact that up until um, the 1930s and 40s, much of the United States was still without electricity and, you know, running water and sewer systems and things like that. Going back to what I was saying, that we're, we're far more of a caste system than we Americans would like to like to admit
1: I, I give an example when I talk about this meritocracy is meritocracy it, it, uh, start with the idea or is based on the idea that everybody is equal yeah. and therefore is about however, you know, the effort they make. Mm-hmm. But it's like um, setting up a race where you have somebody on a wheelchair, somebody that is an athlete mm-hmm. that has been well nourished mm-hmm. and has a, the, the, the can afford to hire a coach and he's been practicing and doesn't have to work. They can spend hours practicing and exercising and you put them in a race. It's starting everybody equal, right? right. Everybody is starting the same line. Everybody has right. equal opportunities to win because they're starting in the same line. But the next to you, there is a person on a wheelchair next to you. There is a blind person. And next to you is a person that doesn't have a leg, for instance. Right. And you say, okay, run. Right. Let's see the better win, you know, yeah. like the better person win. That's not fair. So right. it's not about equality. Meritocracy parts the idea that we're all equal and it's a matter of effort. And here we need to, to really evaluate that first we're not equal, second, we will never be equals. Mm-hmm. What we need is to work on equity, meaning mm-hmm. how we make fair advantage to the people that started with a disadvantage, mm. and that is not meritocracy.
0: Yeah, okay. All right, the last D is um, debate. Is there anything that I said that you want to challenge?
1: Well, I kind of did I during know. the you conversation. <laughs> but there is, one, there is <laughs> okay. one that we missed uh, that is about uh, ideology. Okay. <laughs> it's just, and here I'm challenging from an international perspective, not U.S., it's interesting, and this is an invitation for everyone to think about the terms that we, we use and how we have locked that term around a concept that is totally outdated. Um, we, you know, social justice is about, is about this, and it's about these issues, is it's about these people. When it's not, we just Mm -hmm. talk about it It's a framework for thinking, for going through life, for aligning your values and your beliefs and your principles to everything that you do and other people are doing around you. Ideology, the the term is the study of ideas. Mm -hmm. We should all be ideologists. I mean, we should all be philosophers. We should challenge ourselves to really think. I think that we're not thinking. Mm-hmm. Enough. thinking in Not overthinking. Thinking right. enough in a critical, uh, I will not say objective because the human mind is not capable of objectivity, but uh-huh. <laughs> I will say in a critical, deep, challenging, provocative way about a lot of things. And we're not thinking. It's very comfortable just to say, oh, these are the thoughts that I got downloaded. In my head, you know, like I I was educated with that. Somebody told me they're useful. They help me understand things or, you know, figure things out. And so I'm not going to challenge them. I'm not going to study my own ideas Mm -hmm. and other people's ideas. And the only way society is going to evolve and has evolved in the past is by studying ideas, Mm -hmm. testing them, Mm -hmm. you know, challenging them, all of them. So I believe In, the ideology is not necessarily a political thing and should not be, and that we all should call ourselves ideologists.
0: Okay. And practice. All right. I'm hearing what you're saying. That's similar to my criticism when people say, well, he's very stoic, which means, in their words, emotionalist. I'm like, that's not what that means. Um, or chaos is seen as a bad thing. When chaos is really feminine energy creating disorder, like mostly through corrupt systems. Um, so, all right, I I feel gently called out. <laughs> um, my my uh, mild debate was just the answer circling back around on democracy, you know, direct democracy. So um, that, that representation, um, the best form of representation is a representative republic, because I can give you at least at least in the in world history so many examples of direct democracies that were used then to suppress the people that put the other people into power. By its nature, a representative republic shouldn't be able to do that. The reason, in my opinion, or maybe I'll put this another way, you may agree or disagree with this, I don't know, is the very best tool we have for social justice in the United States is the US Constitution. It is uniquely designed to tackle social justice issues it's just so rarely used for that. When you can go back and look at, like, the Fourteenth Amendment, I think was passed in the eighteen eighties, eighteen seventies. I'll have to look it up. Somebody can fact check me. And we're still relying on this stuff years later as 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 law, as case case law. When when so, what we have now is we have a a. Um, Dualistic, dumbed-down voting population—that's often single issue in their voting—and so we can't go most people most of the time. You can't take an issue and go to them and go to a group of people and go, "Well, my take take is is that we need to change the constitution to, in order to um, you know pass is to, to to constitutionally protect a certain right or something like that. Let's say you know women's right to uh, reproductive rights is an example, and I find it grating, not from you, but from others, that they're trying to circumvent the Constitution in order to get the thing that they want, which bites them in the ass, with people that are the majority of the U.S. population, which are moderates. Most people identify as moderate or independents. I think 70% of registered voters are independents now, some big number. And so this isn't so much at debate with with you. It's, it's, It's just a reminder to people... In the United States, in particular, that we have a system that, given the, the the diligence of educating yourself, can be used to right these wrongs and create more equity in in our country. We can do it. It's been done before. We just outsource it. We outsource it to some politician or somebody else, somebody else's problem. And so that's why I love what you said: that we should all be ideologists. We should at least also all be constitutionalists. Be aware of how the Constitution works. So again, not really a debate with you, but any any counters to that? uh, Yeah,
1: (laughs) (laughs) I is I said before, it's not really about the model. No, no model is working right now Mm -hmm. because the the is the problem. Let's say there is some efficiency in the representative model you know the Republic and having representatives representing you to you know higher stances or you mm-hmm. know different tables but the problem is that who runs for those for those positions who is who has the conditions and the resource to run for, mm-hmm. for office or for you know any representative position? Uh, who is, what are the options right now? For instance, you say 70% of the population is independent, but we don't have independent candidates. So we have, and we have a political system that is taking everything from that model and using it for wrong things, Mm -hmm. you know, for wrong purpose, for very specific agendas that are to keep the people in power, keep them in power and, Mm -hmm. you know, increasing their power. Is not used. The same model could be used for good, but it hasn't. That's yes, right, right. And it will not. Or it hasn't change.
0: enough. I mean, there has been progress no, within no, our country. I mean, the United States has seen significant progress with certain groups of people that were traditionally oppressed. And then, because we don't codify it through legislation, you get people that are far right into power, and they start rolling things back.
1: Yeah, but even, re-
0: primarily for religious reasons, not even constitutional reasons.
1: And even then. Is is even that even if we pass legislations about that, that doesn't guarantee because if the system is designed right. for people right. that already po- are part of the, polit- the 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 groups the powerful groups right. to stay in power over and over, the right. representation is yes. never going to. Yes, I agree right. with you.
0: Yeah, government in any form is not a panacea. It's not or legislation is not a panacea. I totally get that. It's it's just part of the process.
1: Unless we really turn things yes. around and yeah. we make the government a public service as it is, as right. should be, right. and, and the politicians public servants. But yes. this is not is not the way. Right now, the people that has the power it has a a very specific, usually um, individualistic agenda. So, it's like I'm running for this, for right. office, and because I can, right. and because I want to, because I want to have the power that will allow me to do what I think is best for me and yes. for my group and for my interest. Who's with me is not the same as how can I represent yes, your problems totally and right. your thoughts and your interests. And right. lives. So, so, the system that's why I, I believe the system doesn't work, but it will not work in a democracy if we don't change the whole political culture that we are right. in, in the first place. Right. So it's more about political culture. And in this case, I'm not talking about parties. I'm talking about all of us. Yes. Our political culture and the, how the systems are being run and is not much about the system itself. It's yeah. like capitalism. I believe that is not the perfect economic system for the world right now. Obviously, climate change is mostly a, pro- a, a product, an outcome of that. But... The fact that is nothing, that we haven't come up with something better,
0: right. means exactly. that
1: is probably the less, of the, you know, the less worse of the options. Yes, and the
0: one that has the, I mean, we've seen this many times, a separate topic really, but it reminds me, uh, and I admit I had to look it up here to get it exactly right, but Winston Churchill said that uh, democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others that have been tried you know, which is which is yeah. funny. yeah,
1: I'll say the same for capitalism and capitalism
0: too, right and again, that's what I'll probably have you back to talk about capitalism um, and uh, because it's such an interesting topic related to this. and I think that's why and maybe we never I mean I know we talked some about this, but when we started massive, um, this we, we, we want to work with leaders mostly in the, in the United States that's typically business leaders, but would in, would include, Certainly include nonprofit leaders and maybe even some public officials. We don't have any public official clients yet, um, but that could happen. But what's interesting, and you point this out in your um, Shaking the System keynote that you give, uh, that the people best positioned to actually change the system are the ones that are working on doing it from outside of the government, but within the law, which is businesses. They are able to. Make policy and go to speed. They don't need to get permission, you know, to to you know to you know bring more equity into an organization. You don't need, you know, especially companies that decide to become employee owned or they have specific policies related to um, the fact that the CEO can't make more than a certain percentage greater than the lowest paid person. Those are those are policies that companies are implementing back to. The opening line from your keynote, which is social pressure and market pressure, are the same thing. So,
1: yeah, the advantage of business leaders right now is that they can represent, in terms of pushing policies and yeah. laws, they can represent that sector of the population that has not been represented. That is also a sector of the market That's that right. is being underrepresented and, right. To, and underserved. Right and business have the both the autonomy the political autonomy that the public sector don't have and the financial autonomy that the nonprofit sector don't doesn't have right. so they they have in you know, a competitive advantage to challenge the system and change it compared to any other sector
0: So the last question I have is under de, uh, under sort of debate and debunking which is you've known and loved me for three years now almost is where do you think as it relates to social justice I still have a blind spot? Hmm. I'm putting myself I'm putting you on the spot, but I'm putting me on the spot even more. And no matter what your answer is, I'll still love you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think that the nuances, I think that is, but it's not it's a it's a blind spot, it's not a flaw. Because you're you're being I, I can see that you've been working really hard on challenging your own thoughts and beliefs and all beliefs about uh-huh. a lot of these issues. But um, I think that you and many um, well-intended Americans, United States citizens, to be more specific, right. have um, a very geocentric view of the world mm-hmm. and life and society in general. I mean, it's, the United States is so vast and so complex by itself that it might seem that everything that is is represented here and it's not the case. It's not, right. So having, developing the, the, the skill of seeing more of all the complexities and how everything affects and is affected by everything else and the nuances of different form of discrimination and oppression, especially on things that are not that obvious, you know, like killing people is bad. Okay. But what about cheating what about lying what about you know that that kind of nuances I think is is mostly that and you know it's just challenging your own bias about politics about ideology about Mm -hmm. capitalism about you know um, what it takes about business even I think it's always a good exercise
0: Hmm. yeah I think some of that is exposure you know I'm a rare breed in that I've been to all 50 States plus Puerto Rico and the American Virgin islands. And I have seen every sector and corner of the United States geographically almost, but also economically, culturally. So I've spent, I'm one of the few people, you know, I've spent time in boardrooms and high rises in Manhattan and in country clubs and, in you know, the headquarters of political parties to inner city Um, inner city environments to obviously rurals, my background, and then, you know, the classic suburbia and whatnot. And what I have found in that journey to all to to discover America is that I tend to be geocentric. And I'm excited as, as as we move forward together to, you know, to go see these places, because what I've found, and this is true, even with understanding social justice and the raising of my social consciousness and things, is that my deep seated beliefs in in, in freedom and the deep-seated belief in autonomy, in particular, I've only grown stronger, and it's made me. And I think this is the thing I tell people all the time: if you, if you question your beliefs, if you challenge your beliefs, you put yourself in uncomfortable situations or new situations. Like Mark Twain said, the only cure for narrowness is travel. If you do that, it's yes, you will lose your blindness. That's true, and that's terrifying to the ego but you also reaffirm the deep-seated soul-based beliefs that you have. And I think that is well worth that experience. So I look forward to being less geocentric and, 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 and representing as an American, I'm very proud to be an American or, or, you know, a U.S. citizen. I'm proud to be from here, but I'm not dualistically proud of it. I, I'm not, I don't, I see our problems. We got a shit ton of problems. We got a shit ton of things we're doing right. And, Um, So thank you for sharing that.
1: Just in terms of equity, Uh it's not all about traveling. It's not just about traveling. Because you can travel as a tourist. Right. I'm saying
0: that similar exposure, though, that's all I'm saying. I just need exposure.
1: And exposure to other cultures, but you can do it from home, too. I mean, I'm talking to the people listen to us. Just challenge yourself. This belief that we have that talking to people that are different from us means that we have to accept and to agree with them. Yeah. Is, is what keep us in, in, in our small bubble. Mm-hmm. Because it's, uh, <laughs> there is a saying that says that when everybody thinks the same way, nobody's thinking. Right. And I totally believe that is, I The invitation is for you to reach out people that are completely different from you in terms of background, cultural background, origin, um, ethnicity, sexual preference, religion, politics, right. anything... And reach out with the idea with the sincere curiosity and intention of understanding where yes. they come from. Right. How they have been. They have been socialized right. in a way that turned them, you know, into who they are and the way they believe now. And understand how I've been socialized in a way that makes me believe that I'm the representation of rightness, you know, mm-hmm. and <laughs> that right. that I'm right and they're wrong. It's like wait a second, what if nobody's really wrong and everybody is right at the same time? We have completely different perspectives and stories that shape us into who we are right now, but that can be changed. But we need to really try to understand where the person, not agree, but to understand where that comes from. Right, and
0: I often say this too. Sometimes people will say, well, the United States in particular has become so divisive. And my point is, well, sometimes we need that you know if we need to we need a divisiveness within civil rights issues otherwise you know we don't need to understand racists, for example all that much i mean and but in order to get to the point where you can be it's like covey stephen covey said if you wish to be understood seek first to understand and again this is a whole other topic of the unwillingness for people to talk to other people that may not think like them and um and I think at the root of it is their identity is tied up in their beliefs. And when your identity is tied up in your beliefs, everything is seen as either a threat a, a threat or a opportunity for aggression, you know, or, or 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 you know, threat or non-threat. So anyway. This was fun. Thank you yeah. for doing this. Um and I don't ever know how on our conversations, because you know, y'all that are listening to this, we kind of talk like this anyway. <laughs> Maybe not so back and forth like this, but these are the the conversations that we have in, 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 cars and on the couch. And, um, thank you for educating me. I hope you've learned some things from me and thank Always. you so much. And thank you to the listeners. As I said, if you have, um, feedback on this format, please provide it. I want to get better. And if you know of a guest that would make an awesome 3d conversation, please introduce me to them with that. Have a good day.